Hello there, it's Alistair Moffat here, and I'm going to talk to you about my new book, In Search of Angels. The subtitle is Travels to the Edge of the World, and that's what this story is about. It's about journeys. Uh, and there were journeys that I made in the summer of 2019 when the sun shone, there was no COVID, and you could go where you like, and you didn't have to look like you didn't have to wear a mask, and you didn't have to worry about all the things that we worry about now. So it seems like another world, but it was terrific because I went in search of not angels, but men who themselves were looking for angels. I was interested in the early saints in the 6th and 7th century, the Irish saints who, who sailed across the sea to the Hebrides. Uh, Columba is the most famous of them, but there were many others. And I, I was interested not only in him, but also in Brendan. And another two saints who are perhaps more obscure, uh, St. Moluk uh, and also St. Morua. And so they went to the edge of the world. That's how they saw the, the islands of, of, of the west of Scotland. Um, and I went in the wake of their curras, their skin boats that they sailed uh, from Ireland. And I did that for a number of reasons that really, really interested me. I wanted to know something about sanctity. What was it in the 6th and 7th centuries? What made saints? And we live in the 21st century where even ideas of basic decency uh, appear to have fled. We've got an American president who tells lies every time he opens his mouth. We have all sorts of shameful behavior on social media. We have a, a, a lost, I think, in some ways, uh, a sense of basic decency. And so I wondered what good conduct, I wondered what a good life was in the, 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 the sixth and seventh centuries. I wondered what made a saint. Was it goodness? What was it? Was it, was it a, a kind of piety, a, a devotion to God? Um, so that was one thing that interested me. And the other thing was the idea of genius loci, of the spirit of place, or the places that have spirits, as it were, place of spirits. I'd been a year, the year before, to the island of Lindisfarne, Holy Island, off the coast of Northumberland, uh, for a book I wrote about St. Cuthbert. And I was very taken with the atmosphere on Lindisfarne. I thought it was particular. And it was also something, there are always, there are places that are special to all of us, where we were born, where we were raised, the schools we went to, and so on. And that's not really what I was interested in. I was interested in places that themselves had the power to impress and uh, people and be memorable, places that had a spirit. Um, and so that I wanted to go to the places where these four saints in the Hebrides, the inner Hebrides, where these four saints founded monasteries uh, during that early period of bringing Christianity to Scotland. And also I was interested because I, I like history. I'm a historian, I guess. And what I wanted to do was to tell the, the story of the Christian conversion in the West, um, other than Columbus' story. And I thought a journey would be the way to do it, or several journeys, four journeys, if you like, to follow these these four saints. And so 
I basically decided that I would travel myself on my own, absolutely essential. You mustn't go uh, in company because what you do is you spend time talking to somebody or thinking about other things or, you know, you're not focusing on what you've come to to find, what the place that you've, you've gone to. Um, but in fact, I'd started the journey about 20 years before, but I didn't realize it. I'd been to a place called the Ile de Lerin, which are off the south coast of France near Cannes. Um, and I was very impressed by the Ile Saint-Honorat, which is named after Saint Honoratus, who was a kind of hermit, Christian uh, hermit. Uh, and I, I, I remembered that, I remembered it very well. And so I kind of experienced it um, a little bit. I was also interested in what these men did when they got to the places that they settled, the monasteries that they founded and so on. And I got very interested in their devotions. They, for example, prayed a great deal. That was very important. Uh, simple prayers like the Jesus prayer, you know, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And they repeated it again and again and again and again. Uh, the rosary uh, was originally called a prayer rope, and it was a way of keeping count of the number of times that you repeated a prayer. Because prayers put up a kind of protective screen for Christians. They beat off the devils. They beat off evil. And some monasteries uh, created what was called the Laus Perennis, which means the perpetual praise. And so that 24 hours, seven days a week, there was prayer going on in the monastery. They did it in relays. And so always there was this protective wall, this screen of prayer. They mortified their flesh, these men. They, they, they bathed in freezing water. And they did good works. Uh, they helped the poor uh, and so on. And so the first saint in whose wake I, I traveled was St. Brendan. And Brendan went to from Ireland to uh, a place called Illach and Nerve. It means the Rock of the Saint. And it's in the mouth of the Firth of Lorne. The next stop is Canada. Um, it's uninhabited. Uh, and so I couldn't catch a ferry to it. I had to hire a, a rib, a rigid inflatable boat, from Seal Island to take me to this extraordinary place, Elohim Nerve. And it was primitive, jagged, rocky, difficult. There's no place to land, for example. And the boatman had to get his mate to scramble up a, a, a low cliff onto a kind of landing place where there was an iron hook set into the rock. And there he tied up his mooring rope. And I had to, <laughs> to get out of the, the ribbon onto the rock. Um, it was remarkably primitive. Um, and it's the only place in Scotland um, where the original buildings of these early monasteries survive. They're called beehive cells, and they're dry stone cells made in a kind of upturned teacup shape, um, like ancient beehives, which are called skeps, not the modern wooden ones. And the beehive cells are very well preserved on the Elachin nerve. 
And I was able to crawl into them as these men did. And that's what I mean by genius loci. That's what I mean about, by a spirit of place. I was able to, to be in these cells just like Brendan, just like his monks, and experience the, the quiet, the peace uh, of that particular place. Um, I thought it was, it was wonderful, Illich and Nerve. Um, I thought I was alone on the island. Uh, because it's uninhabited. Um, and I got a real fright when I saw another boat, another rib moored. I wondered about Russian cocaine smugglers and so on, but it actually it happened to be a family who'd come across from the island of Ling, across the Firth of, uh, of Lorne. And the next place I went to was very, very different. It was the island of Lismore. Now, Lismore in Gaelic means the Great Garden, and compared with the the jagged rock uh, of the saint, Eilach and Nerve. It was like the Garden of Eden. It was green, it was fertile, and it was really beautiful. And that was where St. Moluk went. He came from Ireland and founded uh, a monastery there. Very different kind of monastery from, from Brandon's. Um, but he also founded a kind of bishopric. Uh, and there were bishops of Lismore, into the late medieval, early modern period. Um, it was a very, very beautiful place, a real contrast. And it was also the first time I took a Caledonian McBrain ferry. And I love Calmac, and they're just great. Um, love, the, uh, love the port at Oban. I like ports anyway. I mean, I like the stink of fish and diesel <laughs> and exhaust fumes and, and the, all the f clutter of fishing piled up. You know, lobster pots, nets, big cork floats, all the coils of rope, all that kind of thing. Um, and so at Oban, uh, I got on the ferry till there's more. And when I got across the other side uh, to the island on the ramp, on the concrete ramp, waiting were people who wanted to go to Oban. And there was a group of half a dozen women who had loads and loads of empty shopping bags and little children in their buggies. And I realized that they were going oh, they were going to open on the supermarket shop across the Firth of Lorne on a ferry. I thought that must be the most scenic and spectacular shopping trip anywhere in Britain. And so I, I, I loved Liz Moore. I thought it was really, really stunning. And although Columba and his story are well known, I could not not go to Iona. Uh, and again, I took another ferry, another uh, ferry to, from Oban to Craignure. But then I was astonished to find that I had a 38-mile single-track road to follow. I mean, you know, busy as anything, big buses, full of tourists. You know, Iona is a magnet for visitors. And yet, what do we have here? A single-track road that lasts 38 miles. Absolutely crazy. And when I got to the island, it was a beautiful day. In fact, the weather... And all of these journeys was sunlit. It was glorious. And it was very, very, very beautiful in Iona. But of course, the place was crammed with visitors. And you really can't. It's very difficult to get a sense of a place when you're shoulder to shoulder with, you know, lots and lots of many, many Americans uh, were there. And I heard one of them who was the leader of a group tall man looking up at Dun E, which is the little hill in the center of, of, of Iona. And he said to his group, hey, let's go hike up that sucker. And I thought, you know, 
why are you here? Why are you here? You're not interested in Colombia. You're not interested in why this island was seen as being a jewel, uh, a, a place of terrific sanctity where kings, many kings were buried and so on. And so I rather fled the crowds around the abbey and the village on the, on the eastern side of the island. And I walked over to the west where there are very few people. Um, and I loved that. That had a real sense of place without any doubt at all. And I did something there which I hadn't planned to do. I decided that I was going to stay. I hadn't booked anywhere on Iona and I wouldn't have got in and I wouldn't wanted wouldn't have wanted to be with people anyway. I, I, that sounds terribly snooty and all the rest of it, but it's not. I wanted to be by myself. And so I slept on the beach uh, on the western side of the island. And that was a magical magical experience um, and I felt I la at last I experienced the peace of of Iona um, and the fourth place I went to and the fourth saint I went in search of was not on an island uh, this was Saint Morua Lochmarie is named after him and again not a well-known saint and Saint Morua founded a monastery at Applecross, which is a peninsula opposite Rasi and Skye uh, on the, the western mainland. And that, in some ways, was the best place I went because I'd never been before. I'd never been to Ilachinerv or Lismore before either. But to reach Applecross, it might as well have been an island. You have to drive up something called the Bialachnambar, which is the steepest road in Britain. And Bjarnachnambar in Gaelic means cattle trail, and it felt like it. But it's also part of that Northern 500 thing. And so going up, I met this Ferrari coming down, who, a guy with dark glasses, open-top blue Ferrari, signalling for me to get out of the way. And I thought, oh, blimey, this is going to be awful. But actually, it was wonderful. And when I got to the top, the views are heart-catchingly beautiful over to the ridge of the Coolin on Skye, uh, down to Applecross and out across the Western Ocean. They're absolutely wonderful. And in front of me in my car, I saw somebody walking, a person wearing a yellow anorak. And as I got closer, I realized it was a woman and she had trainers on and she was walking to walk across the plateau to go down into Applecross. And I, I stopped the car and said, do you, do you want a lift? And she said, no, 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 I'm fine, I'm fine. I'm just, I'm just happy walking, I'm fine. And so I drove down to the bay, really, really beautiful. Um, and I parked and sorted myself out and couldn't wait again on another sunny, sunny day. Uh, couldn't wait to, to walk. And I walked along the bay and on my way back, I met the woman in the yellow anorak, still walking. And I... I said, um, you know, hello. And uh, and she smiled at me and I said, are you, where are you from? And she just shook her head and smiled and kept on walking. And I, I had this completely irrational feeling that I'd just spoken to an angel. And so, I, which is mad, but she had an otherworldly quality. I never saw her again. Um, and so I, I, I found at Applecross uh, are, although there are no remains of any kind, uh, I found really powerful 
traces of that sanctity, particularly in a church called Clachan Church, which is beautiful. It, it's it, it's it's very simple, like the you know the American communities like the Amish or the Shakers, and so beautiful, beautiful church. And it, Apple Cross is called a Chomrich, which means the sanctuary, and that's a memory of Morua and his monastery. What brought all of this uh, to an end, all of the religious communities, or most of the religious communities in the Western Highlands, to an end, um, and why Moluk and Morua, and to some extent Brendan, are not remembered where, where Columba is, what brought that to an end were the Vikings and the raids down through the Hebrides. They attacked these monasteries um, and basically removed all their valuables. They also removed some of the people because the Vikings were great slavers. They had a huge slave trade and that really brought that chapter of Scotland's uh, history to an end. Um, and what I'd like to do is end you know, this little session by, by reading um, the, last, the last chapter um, two, two paragraphs of, of the, don't worry, not a chapter, two paragraphs in the book. And in the second paragraph, there's a mention of someone called Hector Mackenzie, um, who was basically um, still part a pagan and part a Christian because he, he did certain things. Um, so here are the last two paragraphs of the book, and I'll finish with that. All that remains are names, the memories of the landscape and echoes of great sanctity, sacrifice and bravery on the Atlantic shore and amongst its islands and skerries. The lives of those men who searched the skies for angels have long faded. Their grey shapes are little more than fleeting shadows in the darkness of the past. But their devotion and determination not only laid the foundations of churches, they also formed many of the building blocks of our society. Scotland was made by the convulsions of geology, the eruptions of fire and the grinding movement of ice, but its people and their communities were given much of their character by ideas and their power to shape behaviour. One of the most determinant factors was the coming of Christianity and its beginnings were overwhelmingly in the West. And then, Forced over the mountains by the depredations of the Vikings, the beliefs, the cults, and the relics of the saints had an enduring influence. When Hector Mackenzie sacrificed a bull and called down the power of Melrua to help cure his wife Kirsten, and as the presbytery of Dingwall wagged its finger at him, both recalled the legacy of these remarkable holy men. A belief in the power of an ancient martyr was as much a legacy of the 6th and 7th centuries as the asceticism of the Reformed Church in Scotland. Their monasteries have long been lost and reclaimed by the grass and the heather, their stories destroyed or forgotten, their names barely remembered, but the influence of the old saints of the West has not yet fled. That was Alastair Moffat speaking exclusively to the Berlin podcast about his new book, In Search of Angels, Travels to the Edge of the World, published by Berlin. In Search of Angels is now available from your local bookshop, or you can order the book directly from our website www.berlin.co.uk, where you can also sign up to our weekly newsletter for the latest book news, special offers and more podcast episodes.